You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today. Take your Bible with me this morning and turn to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Find your way with me to chapter 8. We'll give you a little bit of history behind this chapter that we'll read in just a moment. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of experiencing consistent joy in life. No matter what's going on around you, do you experience a joy that no man and no circumstance can take from you? Joy is such an important element of the Christian life. In the passage that we will read here this morning, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And you stop and think about that for just a moment. When we have lost our joy, we've really lost out on what God intends for us as a Christian because He wants us to have fullness of joy in our life. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we find that there's a dedication that is taking place. It's like a spirit of revival is come to the nation of Israel. To give you a little bit of background of what is going on here, you may remember that years earlier, the Babylonian Empire conquered Israel and took them captive into the land of Babylon. Since this time, Babylon has fallen to the Persian Empire under Cyrus. Cyrus then is followed in his uh, leadership Uh, by a man by the name of Artaxerxes who had a tender heart towards the Jewish people. Nehemiah approaches King Artaxerxes, the Persian king, and asks him if it would be at all possible for him to allow the Jewish people to go back to their homeland. And he allows thousands of them to return back to their land. You'll notice here in chapter 7, look here with me, in verse 66 and verse 67, you will notice that thousands upon thousands of Jewish people now migrate back to Israel. Upon coming to Israel, they see that the city is completely devastated and is now lying in ruin. The walls have been torn down. And when they see the condition of their homeland, they weep. And Nehemiah takes it upon himself to be the one to organize the rebuilding of the city and the walls around that city. Now, is this rebuilding, are you still with me? It's very important to lead up to the text we're at today. And I'm just touching the surface here. As... Nehemiah organizes the rebuilding, and boy, did he have the gift of organization. He gave to each tribe and individuals a certain portion of the wall to rebuild. And they had enemies that faced them on every hand that were trying to stop the rebuilding of the walls in the city of Jerusalem. Enemies were surrounding them without and also within. 
And so Nehemiah had half of the workers stand behind the ones who were working with weapons in hand. They held the bow, they held the spear, and they held the sword while their fellow Israelis worked on building the wall. And even those who were building the wall would have a shovel in one hand or a trowel in one hand, and they would have a weapon in the other hand to fight against the enemies that would seek to stop the building of the walls around Jerusalem. And an amazing feat in 52 days without any heavy equipment, just with the blessing of the Lord and the determination. The, the Bible says the people had a mind to work. And with weapon in hand and those standing behind them to protect them in 52 days, they rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, including the various gates within the walls. Just an amazing feat. Now the dedication is taking place. And that leads us up to chapter 8. Are you now all with me on what's going on here? Chapter 8 and verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. Now, there were several gates. They're actually mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. The water gate was a gate that opened the way down into the Kidron Valley where there was a spring where they could draw water for the city from. Very important gate, which was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. So he brings out his Bible, which the, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Verse 2, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until what? That's a long message. Amen? Wouldn't you like to have been there for that? By the way, they're all standing, listening attentively as the word of God is read. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and their ears of all the people were attentive Unto the book of the law. He did not have to snap his fingers and say, okay, wake up. Didn't have to do that. Now drop down to verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, what? Amen. amen. They were good Baptists. They answered, amen, and another what? Amen. amen. With lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sentence and caused them to understand the reading. So they read the word of God and then they taught and they preached the word of God, just what we do today. Then we come down into the next verse, verse number 9. We see that Nehemiah, he was the governor of the land. Ezra was the priest and the scribe. And then you have the Levites that taught the people and said to all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. Now watch this. For all the people, all the people, 
All the people, there are thousands upon thousands of people listening to the Word of God being read, listening to the Word of God being preached, listening to the Word of God being taught. They are all listening attentively to the Word of God and they fall under tremendous conviction of their sin. And they all begin to weep before the Lord. Then verse 10. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat. They, they're done with service now. Okay, services, Sunday service is over with. And he says, go home, heat up your gas grills, get a nice, big, thick, juicy, marbled steak, cook it upon the grill, and then he says this, and drink the sweet, eat the fat, drink the sweet, by the way, he wasn't into all this health food stuff. <laughs> Eat the fat, drink the sweet, have a good cold Coca-Cola to go along with that steak. No amens there on that one. Okay. <laughs> and then he said this, and send portions unto them of whom nothing is prepared. For those who can't afford a good steak or a Coca-Cola, share your food with them. Unto them of whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be sorry. You've mourned, you've repented. Aren't you thankful when you confess your sin? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Hallelujah. And we can put it behind us. Go on in rejoicing in God's forgiveness. He said, neither be ye sorry. And here's the statement. For the joy of the Lord is your what? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Look at what God has done. Verse 11, So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be, what's the word? Grieved. Put that sadness and that sorrow behind you. And then it says in verse 12, And all the people went their way, to eat, to eat the fat, and to drink the sweet drink, and to send portions, and to make great mirth. The word mirth means joy, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Because they understood the word of God, God filled them with tremendous joy this day. Experiencing continuous joy in our lives. Jesus said this, and I quote the words of Jesus. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain. That my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be what? Full. So the joy of the Lord, which is the strength of the believer, it is the desire for the Lord Jesus, for that joy, for his joy to remain in us and to literally fill us and control us in our lives. So I have a question to ask you this morning. Would you consider yourself a joyful person? Would you consider yourself a joyful person? Now, I understand that we all have down times in our lives. I got it. 
the Lord says this, I will turn their mourning. There is a time of mourning. He said, I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice in their sorrow. So I believe it is the will of God for when mourning does take place, for that mourning to quickly be turned into joy. When sorrow does happen, for that sorrow to be put aside and to be brought into rejoicing. And then he says this, weeping may endure for the what? Night. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. So I got it. I understand. We are actually experiencing this in our own lives right now. We're going through a time of great sorrow and sadness in our lives, a time that we've never experienced and I never thought we would experience personally in our lives and in our ministry. It is a time of sorrow, but I know this, joy comes in the morning. I know this, that even though we're experiencing some real sorrow and, and our heart is broken over some things that are going on in our life and in our family, I know this, that I have a deep-seated joy in my heart and I'm not going to let anyone steal that joy from me. It's not going to happen. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about the churches of Macedonia. Listen to these churches. It says they were in great Great trial of affliction. They were in deep poverty. Stop and think of it. That's something that we have, I don't think any of us here have ever experienced. Great trial of affliction in deep poverty. When I think of deep poverty, I'm thinking that they were so poor they couldn't put food on their table. Are you with me? Deep the depths of poverty these people found themselves in, and yet the Bible says they had an abundance of joy. Great trial of affliction, deep poverty, and yet they had an abundance of joy. My Bible tells me that Jesus was despised, and he was rejected. He was a man of sorrows, and he was also acquainted with what? Grief. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And yet the Bible says, for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Even though the Lord Jesus was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief, even though he had to face the cross, he had a joy within himself that nothing could take away. What is it? I had to ask myself this question as I was wrestling with this message myself and where we find ourselves right now in our lives and some of the sorrow that we've had to contend with, what is it that produces this constant joy that will remain in us that no one can take away and no circumstance can destroy? So you know what I did? 
I looked up every verse in the Bible that has to do with joy, happiness, rejoicing, and gladness. And there were some things I discovered in my study of these words in Scripture. First of all, salvation is where true joy first begins. How many remember the day they got saved? Well, I remember it like it was yesterday. I can't remember yesterday, but I can remember. I'm, I'm dead serious. I can't remember what happened yesterday. But I'll tell you what, I can remember the day I got saved. It is as clear as a bell to me. I could go back and relive that. That's where true joy began in my life. The Bible says happy is that people whose God is their Lord. I was five years old when I made God the Lord of my life, and I was filled with this incredible joy that I just had to shout it out. I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. I couldn't wait to get home and tell mom and dad that I had gotten saved. The Bible says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation." And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. We will be glad and rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. Over and over and over again, the Bible tells us that the true experience of joy will happen the moment you accept Christ as your personal Savior. So if you've never accepted the Lord, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about right now. But once you accept Christ and experience the forgiveness of sins, that joy just floods into your heart. You can't help it by happening. But what about after salvation? Is true joy able to take place on a continuous basis in our lives even after we're saved? Yes or no? Yes. Now I'm going to read a few verses and I want you to really bear with me. There's a tendency that as I do things like this, that I'll lose some of you. I want to tell you the greatest preaching that you will ever hear is just the word of God being read. Remember what Ezra and the Levites did? They read from morning until midday. And then after all that reading, they gave an explanation of what they had read. The most powerful part of the service is the scripture itself. So please give attention to what I'm going to read. Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. So there's some things that we need to know. And if we know these things and we do these things, we will be a what kind of Christian? We'll be a happy Christian. We'll be a joyful Christian. How many of you would like to be a joyful Christian? Give me your ear. Let thy saints rejoice in thy goodness. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Let all those that seek 
thee, rejoice and be glad. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Make me to hear joy and gladness, David said, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He's talking about the chastisement and discipline of the Lord. Be happy, or excuse me, behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise thou not the chastening of the Almighty. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Happy is he whose hope is in the Lord his God. He that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. He that keepeth the law, happy is he. For God giveth to a man that which is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they were the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And ye, know there, and ye now therefore have sorrow, Jesus said, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Hereto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy might be full. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that which he alloweth. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. I am exceeding joyful in all of our tribulations. But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. These things we write unto you that your joy might be full. Is there any question that God wants us to be people who are absolutely full of joy? There's no question about it. So what I've done is taken all those verses that I've just read to you, okay? And I've highlighted, give you a little overview of the things that God says, if we do them, we will experience the joy that he has for us. We need to focus on the goodness of God, trusting God, being in his presence, seeking him, confessing at the altar, loving righteousness and hating wickedness, responding to God's correction through repentance of sin, serving the Lord, singing unto the Lord, putting our hope in the Lord, having mercy on the poor, keeping God's law, having God's wisdom and knowledge, being meek, eating up the word of God, focusing on eternal rewards instead of temporal delights looking for the coming of the Lord, asking and receiving from the Lord, having a clear conscience, believing, experiencing tribulation for the cause of Christ, suffering for righteousness' sake, being reproached for the name of Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy might be full. Now, how many of you believe the word of God is true? How many of you believe if I do these things, I will have the fullness of joy that the Bible speaks about? So why aren't we having it? Because we're not doing these things. 
Pretty basic, right? Pretty simple. When I think of the joy of the Lord, one of the things I think about is the filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't think there's anything that gives more evidence to a spirit-filled life than the fact that a person has the joy of the Lord and they experience that on a consistent basis. The Bible says that the disciples disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. The Bible talks about joy in the Holy Ghost. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, what? Joy. Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So you will find as you study the scriptures that the filling of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord are tied together. They are inseparable. So if you are not experiencing that joy, it is a clear indication that you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. So we want to talk about that as we conclude this message here this morning. I believe that of all the... uh, aspects of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, the most important is His filling in our life. It is the key to Christian growth. It is the key to Christian maturity. It is the key to experiencing fullness of joy. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the means by which He controls us. He controls our mind. He controls our will. And yes, he even controls our emotions. This would include our attitudes. This would include our behavior. The filling of the Holy Spirit, come on. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God producing his fruit in and through our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit, you know it, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So it's the Spirit of God producing His fruit in and through our lives. It is the Spirit of God performing His ministry in and through our lives. And it's all for God's pleasure, God's glory, and our personal happiness. So if you're not a happy Christian... You are not a spirit-filled Christian. You're not doing the things that God says, if you do these, you will have fullness of joy. You know, the Word of God clearly divides Christians into two categories. Matter of fact, all people are divided into one or two categories. Either you're saved or you're lost. As a Christian... You are either spiritual or you are what? You're carnal. You are a carnal Christian or you are a spiritual Christian. You're either one or the other. I want to ask you a question. Why are so many Christians carnal? It means fleshly. It means worldly. Why are there so many carnal Christians? Why are you carnal? And I'm going to be real honest with you. As wonderful, as wonderful of a church as we have here, it is my opinion as a pastor, we have more carnal members than we do spiritual members. 
And I hate to say that as a pastor. I wish I could say the vast majority of the membership here at Fellowship Baptist Church are spirit-filled Christians. But I can't, I can't say that. And I don't believe the fruit that's born from many of our lives would indicate that. So why are there so many carnal Christians? I had to take that before the Lord because it could be a reflection upon my ministry. Maybe I haven't taught you well enough. Maybe I haven't been a good enough example to you. But I think there's basically three reasons why so many of God's people are carnal. Number one, they want to be. They don't want to be spiritual. Being a spiritual Christian is not easy. It requires discipline. It requires maintaining a close walk and fellowship with the Lord. They just don't want to be. Number two, they haven't learned how to be spirit-filled. They don't want to be spiritual or they haven't learned how to be spirit-filled. Number three, if they do know what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian, then they're just not doing it. And those were the three reasons that the Lord gave to me as your pastor as to why we're dealing with so much carnality in our church. And I want you to understand something. It's not just this church. Every one of my pastor friends that I know are dealing with it even to a greater extent than we're dealing with it here. This is an age of carnality. Why? We don't want to be spiritual. Or we don't know how to be spiritual. Or if we do know how to be spiritual, we're just not doing it. So what are some of the characteristics of a carnal believer? The Bible makes it clear. They live according to the desires of their sinful flesh. If the flesh, with all of its sinful desires and passions, is not fulfilled, they're not joyful or happy. They are controlled, the Bible says, by the lust of the flesh. Say it with me. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three things that absolutely control their life, not the Spirit of God. Self, S-E-L-F, is on the throne of their lives. And self, listen, self demands fulfillment. And if my sinful self is not being fulfilled, then I'm not going to experience that joy and happiness that the Bible speaks about. The carnal Christian, the lordship of Jesus Christ, has been all but rejected from their lives. Whosoever you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. Whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. I really enjoyed my time this week with our teenagers as we talked about revival and my whole lesson this week was on holiness. 
the importance of living a holy life in order that you can have a walk with God. You cannot have a walk with God and lead an unholy life. And I asked the young people, I said, would you give me a definition of righteousness? Do you know our young people were hard-pressed to give a clear definition of righteousness? Do you know what righteousness is? It's simply doing what is right. Someone who is carnal has grieved the Holy Spirit. Someone who is carnal has quenched the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not producing His fruit in and through the life of that person and their ministry is ineffective because they're doing it all in the flesh. Well, what about a Spirit-filled believer? A Spirit-filled believer is producing fruit. But it's not him or her that's producing it. Who's producing it? It's the Spirit of God producing it in and through them. So I got another question to ask you. If you're always walking around grumpy, if you're always walking around upset, angry, bitter, complaining, unhappy, impatient, with a sad, drawn countenance, there is something deeply wrong. Hello? And let me just give you a heads up. No one wants to be around you. I don't want to be around someone that's grumpy all the time and upset all the time and angry all the time and bitter all the time and complaining all the time and unhappy all the time and impatient and has this sad countenance. Something is wrong. And what is wrong is that you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. If you were filled with the Holy Spirit, you would have the fullness of joy of the Spirit in your life, no matter what is going on around you. Spirit-filled believer not only experiences a fruitful life, but experiences an empowering life. Listen to all, and this is just partial list. This is just some of the ministries that the Holy Spirit performs in our life. Produces fruit, performs ministries. He reveals biblical truth to us. He guides us into all truth. He imparts to us the love of God. He conforms us to the image of Christ. He gives us the assurance of our salvation. He comforts us. He puts his words in our mouth. He strengthens us in our inner man. He prompts us and he empowers us to serve the Lord. I want to tell you something. That produces a lot of joy when the Holy Spirit is doing his ministry in and through us. I want to share with you a, a passage of Scripture right now, and I, I want you to get this. This is John speaking. He said, And hereby we know that we are of the truth, 
and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, how many of you here have ever had your heart condemn you? I'll be honest with you. I hope your heart is condemning you today if you're Mr. Grumpy. I've actually had people, some of you are here right now, come to me and ask me, why is so-and-so always so grumpy? To which I answer them every time, go ask them. It's okay, Mr. Grumpy. Okay, Mrs. Grumpy. I hope that God is working a little bit of conviction in your heart today and helping you to realize why you're this way. What a terrible testimony for the cause of Christ. Why in the world would I want to be a Christian when the Christians that I'm working around are so grumpy? upset all the time, always complaining, have a bitter spirit, why in the world would I want to be like that? When we were coming back from Florida, my wife had an opportunity to sit by a lady. Actually, she said to me, she goes, we got in the plane first, and she said, oh, I hope a lady sits by me. And so a lady came, she said, excuse me, can I get in? I'm sitting there, and my wife goes, oh, I'm so glad you're a lady. And uh, <laughs> so this lady sits down, and she was, immediately my wife engages in conversation with her, and I mean, it wasn't 15 minutes later, my wife is giving her the whole plan of salvation. I mean, from beginning to end, my wife's sharing the gospel with her. And she began to share back and forth with my wife. I couldn't hear everything that they were saying. But I did pick up on a couple things. And she said, you know, I'm divorced. And she said, uh, my, my husband's mother was a Christian. And she was a Baptist. And I was like, you had to tell her I was a Baptist preacher. <laughs> and she was always trying to get us saved. And I remember when my husband went in the hospital and he had exactly the same heart surgery that I had. And she was so concerned for her son and she was trying to get him saved there in the hospital before he went in to have heart surgery. And then she said this, but my mother-in-law was such a mean person. She was never happy. And then she said something to this effect. I didn't want anything to do with that. Hello? What kind of testimony, adults, are we giving to our young people? We want to see them grow up and love God and serve God and Yet all they're seeing in us is just people who are unhappy. There's something wrong. And don't you think, church, it's time to fix it? That we can be a good testimony not only to the unbeliever, but we can be a good testimony.
to the believer as well. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. He knows what's in our heart. And I'm so thankful God is greater than my heart. And when I want to get right with God and I want to get that condemnation out of my life, I'm glad I have an altar that I can come to and I can do business with God. And God can take that condemnation out of my heart and God can remove that sorrow and that weeping from me and I can get up from that experience, cleansed from my sin, and go home and have a good steak and a Coca-Cola. I'm with Nehemiah. You know, I think that maybe today for some of us, it's time to leave our sorrow up here at the altar. It's time to leave that grumpiness that complaining spirit, that always finding something wrong, that bitterness. I was quite taken this week because I was dealing with our young people and we were talking about the sins in our life that are hindering our relationship with, with the Lord. And I just had the young people go by and say, what is the What's the biggest thing you're struggling with? Bitterness. How about you, honey? Bitterness. How about you? Bitterness. How about you? Bitterness. How about you? I'm not having my devotions. How about you, honey? What? What? Bitterness. How about you? Bitterness. How about you? I'm. I'm not having my devotions either. Of all of our young people that were there, all of them but two said they were dealing with bitterness in their heart. We got a problem. And I want to tell you something. If we're ever going to have revival here in our church, we better get the filling of the Holy Spirit back into our lives. Carnality and spirituality are direct opposites. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are what? Come on, church, these are what? These are contrary one to another. Paul said, I know that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. The things I know that I should do, those are the things that I'm not doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, we all know that inner struggle. And I'm here to tell you, it's time right now to say, that's it. I'm tired of my joy being taken from me. I'm, I'm sick and tired that I don't have a rejoicing spirit that I can't even sing the hymns of the faith with joy in my heart. That's it. It's over with. Nothing or no man is going to steal my joy from me anymore. It's time to yield. It's time to surrender. And it's time to submit. And if you would yield, if you would surrender, and you would submit, you know what you're going to experience? The filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
And you're going to find out that Mr. and Mrs. Grumpy just died. Hallelujah! Let's put them to death today. Mr. and Mrs. Grumpy have just died. Filling of the Holy Spirit is indispensable to the Christian's growth and maturity. Don't divorce yourself from the filling of the Holy Spirit. You know what Jesus said? Shall not I give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? I think it would be a good thing today to confess our sin. Because if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. It's sin to be grumpy. It's sin to go around with always a sad countenance. It's sin to always be complaining, to be murmuring. It is sin to be bitter. What is it that's stealing your joy from you today? Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.